0: You. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to uh, be with you guys. I've been out for a few years. I've been an assist- oh, I am still the assistant pastor at a church called Kenton Evangelical in Harrow, um, but I'm about to move jobs. So pray that um, yeah, God would find me the uh, the right pastor at somewhere. We're going to begin. Our- oh, so, one more thing. Tim sends his love. Uh, most of you know Tim. He says hi. Um, East Street's going very well. I've had about seven or eight baptisms in the last couple of years. So uh, praise God. God's really, yeah, blessed East Street. Uh, they've just appointed a new uh, elder, a co-pastor with Tim, a guy called Kieran, godly man. Uh, so yeah, God's really blessing. Uh, East Street. So greetings from them. Turn in your Bible to uh, Psalm 110, Psalm 110. Psalm 110, a psalm of David. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall they lift up their heads. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can be met here together, Lord, as a group of your beloved people, as your children, uh, Lord, washed in the precious blood of our Saviour, Lord, we thank you that we can come and worship you, our good, our holy, our wonderful and perfect God and creator. So Lord, as we worship you this morning, as we sing praises to you, as we listen to your word, Father, we pray that your spirit might be at work, that you would encourage us, strengthen us. Uh, help us, Father, um, and encourage us. We do pray in the next hour or so. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing our first hymn, hymn number 30, 30. Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet, thy tribute bring ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like thee his praise should sing? Let's, um, let's pray again, let's pray. Lord God, we come this morning, Father, and we praise you, Lord, for you are worthy of our praise. Lord, you are wonderful, Lord, you are light, in you is no darkness at all, as John says. Uh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. We thank you, Father, that you love us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that... You dwell with us, Lord. You haven't left us to our own devices, but, Father, by your Spirit, you have come and partnered and dwelt with each one of your people here this morning, Lord. We thank you for the strength that you give us. We thank you, Lord, for that power we have to overcome the evil one, Lord, to resist temptation, uh, to live for you, uh, and to live holy lives, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for just how wonderful and gracious you are. And, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for that tremendous love which... Uh, Lord, brought our Savior here. Uh, Lord, we thank you that He stepped into His creation, that He was born, uh, that, Lord, He lived that perfect life, and that, Lord, He went to the cross to die on our behalf, Lord, to pay the penalty for our sin. Lord, we thank you that we can call Jesus King and Lord and Savior and brother. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, through Him we can be co heirs of the kingdom. Lord, that one day. Uh, Lord, when Christ returns, uh, or or before that, if we uh, depart before he returns, Lord, we thank you that we will be enthroned in glory with him. That, Lord, we will get to enjoy a new heaven, a new earth, a new creation, where every tear will be wiped away. Lord, whether there be no crying or sorrow or pain or war, uh, Lord, we look forward to that so much. Lord, and we thank you, Lord,
1: more than ever, Lord,
0: that we will see you face to face. Lord, we will see you in, in your full brilliance, and Lord, we won't be destroyed, we won't perish, but Lord, we also will be sinless and holy, Lord, and we will just enjoy your presence forever. Lord, we, we long for that day, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for that tremendous love. Lord, we don't deserve this at all. We were sinners, we were your enemies, we turned our back on you, we'd broken every rule you have given us, and yet, Father, you reached in, you had mercy Uh, on people like us Lord we praise you for that Lord we do thank you Lord for Mother's Day Lord we celebrate our mothers uh, and the women in our our lives who've acted as mothers to us Lord we praise you Lord especially Lord if if we have Christian mothers here this morning Lord or or we had Christian mothers in the past past and they've departed to be with you Uh, Lord we do pray for new mothers Lord Uh, Lord we pray that you would bless them Um, and, and Lord we just yeah praise you Lord for the The blessing of having a mum who who loves you, having a mum who supports you. Um, And Lord, yeah, we we lift up all mums uh, today and ask that your hand would be upon them. Lord, we think of our lands. Lord, again, we we see it drifting further and further away from its Christian roots, Lord, and it it pains us, it it depresses us sometimes. But Lord, we do pray, Father, that you would have mercy on it. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would see souls saved. Uh, that, Lord, as, as the gospel is preached in this church and other churches, uh, that, Lord, you would bring an increase, that the seed would fall on good ground, that people would be saved. Uh, Lord, we do think of the wider world, Lord. We see, Lord, as exactly as predicted, Lord, that the last days will be full of anger and strife and war and rumours of war and tension. Um, but, Lord, we do pray that you would protect your people, uh, particularly in war zones right now, uh, we think of, of Eastern Europe, Lord, we pray that your, you would have your hand upon your people there, that they would uh, be able to escape uh, those war-torn areas. And Lord, we do pray for peace and a, a peaceful resolution to the conflict over there, Lord. We, we don't want to see people lose their homes and, and, yeah, Lord, all that pain and destruction. So Lord, we pray that your will would be done, um, that people would see sense. And Lord, there'd be a de-escalation of things uh, over in Ukraine and Russia, Lord, we pray for this church here uh, in Hailsham, Father. We pray that you would bless them. Uh, We thank you for their their witness. We thank you for their, um, yeah, Lord, testimony and, and, uh, Lord, hard work. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would just, uh, Lord, yeah, preserve this church and and pour your spirit out on this area, Lord, that people will be saved and numbers would be added. Lord, as we come to your word shortly, uh, Lord, we pray that, You would help us to understand it, Lord, prepare our hearts, give us ears that are ready to hear what you have to say to us. Uh, Lord, as maybe we've had a busy week or a busy week is ahead, Lord, we pray that we would uh, clear our minds, um, Lord, and be attentive to your wonderful word. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that in it are the words of life, Lord, the light of the gospel, Uh, the words that can uh, bring new life to people, uh, to, to, to shock them. Uh, into the truth of the gospel, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that as we come before these living words this morning, that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would work, uh, that we would be challenged, and that you would bless us. So, Lord, we commit uh, our service into your hands, Lord. We pray that in all that we do this morning, your holy and wonderful name would be glorified. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing again, favourite hymn of mine all about the church gathering. Uh, How pleased and blessed was I to hear the people cry, come, let us seek our Lord today. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings 21. About a year and a half ago at my church, I did a series on Elijah. Um, And yeah, 1 Kings 21 really struck uh, struck me, especially actually in our current context of war. Um, And yeah, people seeming to just do what they want. Um, The question is, does God see what happens? Will... Unjust, injustice go unpunished and undealt with. So we're going to read 1 Kings 21. We're going to read the whole chapter. That's what it says. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel hard by the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my father unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my father's. And he laid him down upon his bed, turned away his face, And would eat no bread. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, And said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, Or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou not now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out, and stone him, that he may die. And the men of the city, even the elders and the nobles, who were the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel, Jezebel had sent unto them, and as it was written in the letters which he had sent unto them. They proclaimed a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him, And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, Take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold... He is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil, In the sight of the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon thee and will take away thy posterity and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field, shall the fowls of the air eat. And there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things as he did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard those words, that he rent his clothes, And put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou uh, how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Amen. So read God's word. Before we look at that passage, we're going to uh, sing again. Hymn number two hundred and fifty two five zero. Rejoice and be glad the Redeemer hath come. Go look on his cradle, his cross and his tomb.
1: Kings 21 open. We're going to be looking at the whole passage this morning. As I said, yeah,
0: in a, in a world where people seem to do what they want, what's God's response? We can often feel a bit depressed when we see crimes going unpunished, when we see different dictators around the world harming their people, doing things they shouldn't be doing. What can we make of it? Well, hopefully, this passage in 1 Kings 21. He's going to reveal to us some wonderful truth. So, before we get into it, let's just uh, catch up with where we are in Scripture. Um, We've got Israel, and it's been split into two halves. You've got ten tribes in the north, uh, which is where we're going to be focused this morning. And these ten tribes are ruled by Ahab and Jezebel. And this is a sinful pair of people. Jezebel was a Sidonian princess who was now queen of Israel. And Jezebel, she'd introduced Baal worship into the land. And then she'd hunted down God's prophets and killed them. She'd killed as many as she could. And Ahab had been complicit in the whole thing. The two of them had started to make the nation corrupt. Ahab and Jezebel give us a glimpse of true evil. And only Elijah, and maybe one other prophet, Micaiah, only Elijah stands up to them. So today we're looking at chapter 21, Naboth's vineyards. And in many ways, this event here in this chapter seems to be the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. This event upsets God so much that he finally passes judgment on this wicked couple. So the title of this sermon is Who Really Governs Israel? And we can split our passage up into n- two neat halves. So the first half is verses 1 to 16. And we're going to call that Ahab Rules in Israel. And actually I'm going to be sneaky. The first point has got 3 subpoints. Okay, So 1a is our first sub-point. We find a covetous king, verses 1 to 7. There had been a a three-and-a-half-year drought uh, that Elijah had prayed for, but that's come to an end in chapter 18. And now, once again, the land of Israel brings forth fruit. Stuff grows. Now, Ahab has a second palace called Jezreel. He's got a palace in Samaria, but he's got eight miles away. He's got another little holiday home, so to speak. And Ahab's in his holiday home palace, and he looks out of the window... And he spots a little patch of land. And he says to himself, that would make the ideal spot for my new allotment. It's just next door to the holiday villa. South facing, gets plenty of sun. I could grow a prize marrow in there. I could grow Brussels sprouts for my Christmas dinner. So verse 2, Ahab spoke unto Naboth, saying, give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, or a vegetable garden, because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Ahab says, I'm going to compensate you very well if you, <coughs> if you hand over your land. If grapes are your thing, then I will buy you a much better vineyard, a bigger one. And if money's your thing, well, I've got plenty of silver and gold. I'm the king. Verse 3 Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Why is Naboth being so awkward? I mean, surely this is a simple real estate deal, isn't it? And Ahab's the king. He rules in Israel. Surely Ahab can decide what patch of dirt he owns. But actually Ahab can't decide things for himself because Naboth is, quote, in Numbers 32. Numbers 32, verse 7, don't need to turn to it, says this, No inheritance in Israel is to pass from one tribe to another, for every Israelite shall keep the tribal inheritance of their ancestors. Naboth says, I can't sell you this vineyard even if I wanted to, because there's a higher authority than you, Ahab. The rule of the Lord God, Yahweh, that prevents me from selling up my land. It can't change families. The Lord forbids it. So sorry, pal, no deal. Verse four, Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. And the end bit of verse four, and he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. Well, this is pathetic, isn't it? Ahab's a grown man and he's acting like a spoilt little kid it's quite, quite likely that he'd grown up a spoilt little kid, isn't it? Son of King Omri, little Prince Ahab, growing up in his palace getting everything he asked for. I, don't, I, I doubt that no was a word Ahab heard too much as he grew up. And spoilt little kids grow into entitled adults, adults who feel that the world owes them a favour. So here we have Ahab completely consumed By his own covetousness. Covetousness, wishing someone else's stuff belonged to you. And actually, Ahab Ahab admits that's his problem. Verse 5, Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad, that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Well, covetousness is the forgotten commandment, isn't it? And it's the only commandment that deals with our minds. And therefore, no one else is privy to it. So we can all sit here in church this morning and be as covetous as we like, and no one will know any different. Perhaps we don't think it's all that bad. I mean, who really suffers? Surely a little bit of covetousness isn't going to hurt anyone. But actually, it is bad, isn't it? Look what it's done to King Ahab. It's made him look ridiculous. He now won't even eat. And as we'll see, covetousness can and often does end up hurting people. It's the first step, the gateway to a whole other bunch of sins. How many marriages have been wrecked because a husband coveted someone else's wife or vice versa? How many houses have been burgled because a passing thief coveted someone else's possessions? How many thousands have died in wars because one nation coveted another nation's lands? So Christian friend, don't take covetousness lightly. Verse 7. Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? She says to him, You do realise you're king over Israel, right? I mean, you govern... You're not subject to the law. You get to decide the law. You're the king. Arise and eat bread, she says. Let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. See, Jezebel's from a land where kings did what they wanted. They made the laws. They didn't have to follow them. And there was no way her husband was going to be subject to the laws of the Lord, the God of Israel. So, second sub-point we find a cunning queen, verses 8 to 10. So verse 8, let's read it. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city, dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king and then carry him out And stone him that he may die. Well, Jezebel's sly, isn't she? She takes out the letter-headed paper with a palace logo on it and begins to write, we're going to fit this guy up. And what better way to do it than to use his own beloved laws against him? So she writes to the elders of Jezreel, you need to accuse this bloke of blasphemy. If he's going to use the law of Moses for his benefit, well, then I'm going to use it for mine, thinks Jezebel. So she writes to the elders. I can get this guy stoned to death with just a couple of witnesses. And that's the horrible twist in this story, isn't it? She uses God's law to break God's law. And this is something that people have done throughout history, using Christianity to dress up their wickedness. People invoking the name of God as they commit evil acts. People twisting and abusing God's word to bring about their political desires. And that's precisely what Jezebel is doing here. So there's nothing new under the sun. Third subpoint, then, a clinical operation, verses 11 to 16. Now, I don't know if you've seen the film Oceans 11, it's going back a few years. But in it, George Clooney and his friends think up an elaborate plan to rob three casinos in Las Vegas. And, spoiler alert, Everything goes exactly to plan. It's a smooth operation. And they walk away unscathed with $150 million. It's a good film. And actually, it's that sort of smooth clinical operation that we see in verses 11 to 16. The cogs of power turn, and Ahab and Jezebel get exactly what they want. Verse 11. The men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were were the inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them. And as it is written in the letters which he had sent unto them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. And they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. In two kings, we discover that Naboth's sons were also bumped off in this event. We can't have his kids around to inherit his father's land. That would render this whole enterprise pointless. So they're taken out and killed along with their father. Verse 14 Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. And the two of them lived happily ever after. Well, of course they didn't. Who rules in Israel? Well, it appears from this first half that Ahab and Jezebel rule. And crucially, no one seems to know what's going on. Jezebel has kept a closely guarded secret. Only a handful of people know about it, and they're not telling anyone. There won't be an investigative journalist who breaks the scandal in Sunday's Guardian. This is a cloak and dagger job, like a top-secret 1960s CIA conspiracy. And the way this passage is written is brilliant. Verse 1 to 16 could be a non-Christian story, couldn't it? It's got a little bit of religion in it, sure, but most unbelievers accept that religion exists. But actually, this story gives us a pretty accurate snapshot of the whole of human history. Because throughout the ages, what do we see? Well, we see powerful, influential people exerting their wicked rule on others. Wicked dictators, wicked kings, wicked regimes, abusing and oppressing the innocent and the poor. And just like Ahab and Jezebel, it goes on and has gone on in secret. In 2019, it came to light that the Chinese government was committing atrocities against a group of people called the Uyghurs. Uh, This is a a, a race in Western China. For years, they've been locking these people up and torturing them. And yet, who's going to bring the Chinese government to justice? No one. This is the second most powerful regime in the world. They can do what they want. They rule. And we might think, oh, China, we, we know they're dodgy. But actually, our government's no good either, is it? Every year in Great Britain, 200,000 babies are murdered on the NHS for abortion. It's ironic, isn't it? The government are worried about old people dying from COVID. At the same time, they're deliberately murdering children. 200,000 innocent kids wiped out and flushed away. And it's done in secret. Barely mentioned on the television. In fact, it's celebrated... As part of women's liberation. We live in a wicked world ruled by wicked men and wicked women. A world where evil rumbles on unchecked behind closed doors. Now look, let me challenge you if you're not a Christian here this morning. If you don't believe in God, then you're stuck with the first half of this story. Ahab and Jezebel simply get away with it be they a a world leader or a corrupt cop or a dodgy politician, all of their secret sins, their private misdemeanors and their wicked schemes will go undiscovered and unpunished. With no God involved, there can be no justice because it's survival of the fittest where the strongest and most powerful and most devious bend, break and make their own rules. Who rules in Israel? Well, we could ask, who rules the worlds? Well, the first half of our passage, if we left it there, would leave us pretty depressed, wouldn't it? But thankfully, we've got some good news in the second half. So the second point, the Lord rules in Israel, or Yahweh rules in Israel. So, the 1st subpoint of our second point, 2a, God sees it all, verses 17 to 20. It all changes in verse 17. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he's gone down to possess it. I love the wording in the KJV. It says, Behold. God's like, look, have you seen him? There he is. There's the one you're looking for. Look where he is. Like when you see your kid down the park. Oh, Oh, there's your kid on the swing. Oh, he's pushing another kid off the swing. Oh." God says, There's Ahab. He's in someone else's vineyard. He's gone down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. So, as Ahab signs off the paperwork and the landlord gives him the key, Elijah turns up to tell him that God has seen everything. Verse 19, Thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. See, nothing is hidden from God, is it? He saw Ahab sulking. And he saw Jezebel write those letters. And he saw the elders and nobles of Jezreel put the plan into action. And he saw the public meeting with the two false witnesses who stood up. And he saw the townsfolk of Jezreel picking up stones. And he saw Naboth and his sons murdered outside the gates. And then he saw the the wild dogs approach the bodies of those men and start licking up their blood. And it made God sick to his stomach. Verse 20, Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord's. Ahab must have been gutted, mustn't he? He's finally got the thing he coveted so much. And as soon as he gets it, God's messenger turns up to ruin his day. He and his wife had executed the perfect crime. The eyes of the public would never see what they'd done. But Ahab couldn't hide it from God's. Well, Christian friend, notice, in a world overflowing with injustice, in a world where great evils go on in secret, where people go to great lengths to hide their wickedness, well, God sees it all. Pedophiles who hide behind encrypted firewalls on the dark web, they cannot hide from God's. People traffickers who work under the cover of darkness, selling women and young girls into sex slavery, where they're perfectly visible to God's. Those secret concentration camps in China and North Korea. Those regimes around the world that silence and persecute Christians. Well, God knows every guard and every administrator. He knows where they live. He knows what they've done. And he will not forget. God sees it all. 2nd subpoint: sub-point, 2B, God passes sentence. Verses 21 to 26. The first half of the story, Ahab and Jezebel were running around as if they ruled Israel. But now the true governor of Israel has a message for them. Not only has he seen what they've done, but like any good king, God is now going to bring justice. Ahab's actions will not go unpunished. So verse 21, Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spoke the Lord, saying, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel, him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat, and him that dieth in the field, shall the fowls of the air eat. Well, maybe we think this is a little bit harsh. Maybe it's a 21st century years, we sort of wince. But notice how God is going to pay Ahab back precisely for the sins he's committed. God doesn't go overboard. He's measured. Ahab had killed all of Naboth's sons. So now God is going to see that all of Ahab's sons are wiped out. Dogs had chewed on Naboth's bones and licked up his blood. So now Jezebel's body is going to be treated in the same way. The corpses of Ahab's family would be left out in the wild for the animals to devour, just as Naboth's had. Who really governs Israel? Well, it's not Ahab, is it? It's Yahweh, it's God, the Lord. Who really rules the world? Is it wicked men and women? Well, for a time, perhaps, but not forever. Because the day is coming when God will execute judgment and bring justice to the world. Isaiah 66 says this, verse 14, the hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but his fury will be shown to his foes. See, the Lord is coming with fire and his chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury And his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with the sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people. And many will be those slain by the Lord. At the start of the service, we read Psalm 110, talking about Jesus coming back and destroying the leaders of nations who are opposed to him. Well, friends, are you ready for that day? Do you look forward to that day as a servant of God? Or actually, does the thought of King Jesus coming back, well, does that fill you with anxiety? Because you know that God's anger is going to be directed at you. Well, final point. God's character revealed. Verses 25 to 29. The sentence has been passed. And then just in case we as readers are feeling a bit sorry for Ahab, the narrator gives us a summary of his reign. Verse 25. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. This is not the kind of thing you want to read on your end-of-year assessment, is it? Of all the kings of Israel and Judah... No one had ever been so intent on irritating God with their wicked behaviour. Does Ahab deserve what's coming to him? Well, absolutely. But then we get these weird final three verses, don't we? And they almost don't fit with everything that's come before. Verse 27. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went softly. Well, we didn't expect this, did we? And perhaps we're a little bit annoyed. Why can't Ahab be like the TV villain who remains unrepentant and evil to the end as he holds on to his AK-47? Now he's asking for clemency. Now he wants God to let him off. And, And can he simply buy his way out of all of this trouble by changing his clothes and looking a bit sad. This bloke's had someone murdered. Is God going to show mercy? Well, look at verse 28. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. I love this, do you ever get so excited about something that you have got to ring up one of your friends and talk about it? Well, that seems to be what God does here. He says, Elijah, have you seen this? Have you seen how Ahab has responded to my sentence? He's demonstrating some level of repentance. And so God says, I won't bring this disaster upon him while he lives. God was going to make Ahab watch as all of his family were wiped out that had been his original intention it seems but now God says I'm going to show him some mercy he won't have to watch in fact he's going to be the first to die and he dies next chapter but here in our final verses then we see God's character revealed what is the character of God is God happy and joyful when he passes sentence on human beings Is God excited when he has to pour down judgment on the people of the earth? Well, no, he's not. In fact, God is looking for every opportunity to pardon people. He's looking for every excuse to show mercy. So here, what do we see? Well, Ahab shows some level of remorse. He puts on sackcloth. He pours ashes on his head. He's showing God and and his citizens that he recognizes He's done wrong. But it's only partial repentance, isn't it? Ahab doesn't take all of his Baal statues and idols and burn them. He doesn't bring his wicked wife into line. He doesn't go down to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices at the temple for his sins. In fact, he'd set up his own temple in Samaria. He doesn't give back the vineyard and turn it into a peace garden of remembrance. That would have been full repentance. Ahab shows a little bit of repentance. So what does God do? Well, God shows him a little bit of mercy. The point is, if you're going to show repentance, then God will show mercy. His mercy will match your repentance. So do you see how wonderful God is? He's willing to show the worst king who ever lived grace. Because that's God's character. I had an expensive digital camera a few years back. This is before mobile phones were, like, really good at taking pictures. And I had this camera and I started fiddling with it because I'm, uh, I'm not as smart as I think I am. And eventually, I changed all of the settings, the exposure, the aperture, the, the shutter speed. I didn't know what these things meant. I just, like, fiddling with it. And eventually, I completely messed up my camera. Whenever I took a photo, it was just a white blur, and I went into the menu settings, and I didn't I think, what can I do to get this back? Well, I found the menu settings. I went in, and I clicked on Restore Factory Settings. And, of course, all of the camera's settings went back to their default position, and the camera was fixed. This was the way Olympus had intended my camera to work. These were its default settings. Well, friends, do you realize that God's default position is to show mercy? Ezekiel thirty-three eleven says this, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? In Isaiah chapter 22, he calls his acts of judgment his strange work, his alien task. Destroying people for their wickedness is not something that comes naturally to God. He does not like doing it. He would rather that all men and women everywhere repent. He wants to show mercy. His default position is mercy. Because Ahab had showed a little bit of humility, God showed him a little bit of mercy. But if Ahab had showed full repentance, God would have shown him full forgiveness. Well, friends, this sermon... His title is, Who Really Governs Israel? And we found out that it wasn't Ahab and Jezebel. It was the Lord God, Yahweh. And notice how different God is from Ahab. Why did Ahab annoy God so much? Why is he described as the most evil king there ever was? Well, it was because everything Ahab did ran contrary to God's character. Ahab's initial sin was covetousness. Contrast that with God, who far from wanting to take your stuff, he wants to share his stuff, his goodness, his love, his joy, his wealth, his glory. Ahab and Jezebel executed an evil plan, having a man killed so they could steal his inheritance. Whereas God has executed a rescue plan for sinners, where he would die instead of us to provide us with an inheritance. Inheritance. Who really governs Israel? Well, it's the same man as who governs the universe. A good king. King Jesus. A king who will one day impartially judge every human being for their actions. A king who will not condone evil, nor allow it to continue forever. A king who, if you've come to him in repentance for the evil you've committed, well, his king won't reject you. Instead, he'll... He'll welcome you with a smile on his face, forgiving you for his rebellion and adopting you into his family because his default position is mercy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that the sins of the world, Lord, won't go unpunished. Lord, we thank you that wherever wickedness is seen, Lord, you see it and you've promised, Lord, that you're going to deal with it. Lord, we thank you Lord, that in your love and mercy, you've dealt with our sins. Lord, you could so easily have have punished us, have wiped us out, but instead you sent Christ to take that punishment for us. Lord, we thank you for him. We thank you that he paid the price. Lord, we pray that if there are uh, people here this morning or watching online, Lord, who don't yet know you, who haven't yet bowed the knee to King Jesus, Lord, that they would do it this very morning. And that, Lord, you would save souls, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have... Next hymn, hymn number two hundred and eighty-two A O. This is all about Christ returning to bring judgment um, and to bring peace uh, to creation. Lo, he comes with clouds descending once for favoured sinners slain. Thousands, thousands saints attending swell the triumph of his train.
1: that's a uh